Hey guys, it's David. Welcome to Sadness Town. This is the 18th episode of the Sadness Town podcast, recorded Tuesday, March 29th at the Songbird Music House and Record Cafe in Washington, D.C. My guest on this episode is Andrew Bucket, a very funny, weird, local D.C. comic. Uh, I really like this episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, this is one of my favorite conversations I've had so far on the podcast, and uh, I don't really have much to say aside from that. Just a couple quick plugs without doubling up too much because I mentioned a lot of this at the end of the show. Um, but I'm going to be back in Washington, D.C. this week for the 202 Comedy Festival, which is happening April 13th through 16th. Uh, you can find information on that uh, at 202comedyfestival.com. I'm going to be doing a live podcast on Friday at Eastern Confederate in Mount Pleasant with my guest Lafayette Wright. Uh, I'm doing a stand-up show on Thursday as well, but I believe that's already sold out. Uh, so if you want to come see the live show, you can find more information about that at 202comedyfestival.com or on my website, davidtwitey.com. That's davidtweite.com. Also, one quick note. Uh, it's mentioned by my guest at one point during this episode that... Pro-BMX biker Matt Hoffman committed suicide. I've been informed that that wasn't Matt Hoffman. That was Dave Mira. Uh, Matt Hoffman is still alive as far as I know. So if you are a member of his family or one of his friends, uh, please do not be alarmed. Uh, you should still call and check in with him, though, because I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, I think that's just about it. Let's get right into it. Here's me and Andrew Bucket. Get on down! Get on down! Welcome to Sadness Town! How are you guys doing tonight? This is the Sadness Town Podcast. My name is David Twighty. As always, we will open with a reading from the Sadness Town Charter. Item number one. This is a safe space. We're here to celebrate the fact that although being alive is a cruel and difficult thing, we're all much better at it than we used to be. Item number two. You were not cool in high school. You were a tragic, awkward car wreck of a human being, and so was everyone else. Pretensions to the contrary will not be tolerated. Item number three. I didn't even do that on purpose. Item number three. At the end of the show, Everybody hugs. No exceptions. Uh, okay, so I'm opening this episode of the Sadness Town podcast with this song, Get On Top by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, this is off their 1999 album, Californication. Uh, this album peaked at number three on the Billboard 200, and it received four stars from AllMusic.com, who said, Anthony Kiedis's thoughtful lyrics prove he has remained as mindful and soulful as ever. And I'm going to start this song over to rebut that. <laughs> Hit me. Come get me. I bite butt. She bit me. Gorilla. Contilla. Samadina. Salmonilla. Come with me because I'm an ass killer. Yo, ill butt. I'm illa. All right. I don't even know how to start... talking about the incomprehensible stupidity of this fucking song. Uh, his lyrics remain as thoughtful and soulful as ever. Anthony, what is a cuntilla? I needed something to rhyme with gorilla. Yeah, but why is the gorilla there? I associate this song mostly with, um... This is my favorite band through most of high school. Uh, and I remember listening, this is one of many songs that I remember listening to in the back of my friend Joe's Caprice Station Wagon, uh, junior and senior year. Uh, we went to uh, Bloomington Jefferson High School in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. And uh, our mascot was the Jaguar. We had a, uh, we had a, a school like closed circuit news program called Jaguar Spots, uh, which we were involved in. Uh, and we got like a whole, 
we got a whole period of the block schedule dedicated to it. And they would let us like leave campus to go uh, like conduct interviews and do research for news stories. And we were good kids, so obviously we never used that time to just go to one of our houses and get stoned before lunch uh, two or three times a week. Um, but I don't, like, I love this band. I bought, I spent like $40 on the Live at Stain Castle uh, uh, box set where they did like this song, a bunch of other, they butchered a fucking Ramones song. Um, this is one of those, like, this band has matured, I guess. Uh, they're sort of an adult contemporary group now, uh, but they're still the same band that in the 80s released an album called Uplift Mofo Party Plan and a song called Party on Your Pussy. <laughs> Not that much has changed. Uh, I want to see what my guest has to say about this. Uh, my guest on uh, tonight's episode uh, is a good friend. Uh, not of me, I just heard. Uh, and he's a very funny comic. He does shows uh, right here at the Songbird. I forgot to mention that. We're at the Songbird Music House and Record Cafe. If you're listening at home, this is a beautiful space right here in the bowels of this place. Uh, right down, a couple doors down from the original home of the Jumbo Slice. And uh, just a couple more doors down from the real original home of the Jumbo Slice. Um, so, uh, yeah, my guest, Andrew Bucket, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hi. How you doing, buddy? I'm very good, and I'm so glad that you played. I did not have any idea that you were going to play this at the top of the show, because I labored over whether or not to include this on the my playlist. Specifically this one? Not this song, but something from this, this album. This came out my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. And uh, was definitely like inescapable uh, beach going beach week. Music. Yeah, it's like I just I don't know how they feel about California. They seem <laughs> yeah, they seem to at least think about California a lot. And well, those thoughtful. And there's a song on this album where he literally says ying ying yang yong ying ying yong yang yang yong. Yeah, that's around the world, is the name of that And it's everyone's favorite part. <laughs> that's the part that the whole crowd sings along. Like, oh. oh. That's when he holds the mic out. He doesn't even sing it. He just... <laughs> and don't look at me. That racism is in the track already. No question. That's enough of that. No, yes. <laughs> It was kind of it was discombobulating. It's just, it. <laughs> I, I've brought it up on the show before, but like that's a pretty solid uh, white boy funk outfit backing uh, this fucking lunatic talking about gorillas and cantillas. Uh, it's just a, it's a bummer when there's a band where the lead singer is the least talented member by that much. <laughs> it's like them and the Doors are the ones that spring to mind. Right, everyone, everyone. It's like they went to Guitar Center and found some virtuosos. And then they let the guy at the bus station sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it is the same thing with the Doors, where they got like Manzarek and like this fucking great, like classically trained jazz band back here. And, just just like, <laughs> and Jim Morrison is like, I'm a lizard. <laughs> it's like, no, you're just an incredibly difficult person to be around. Your band studied uh, studied jazz for twenty years. <laughs> well, I drink a bottle of vodka. <laughs> yeah, and like when he died, they had to have been like on some level, just like, oh, thank God. Like, <laughs> I'm just doing sessions from now on. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't like I I don't know what it was about the Red Hot Chili Peppers that connected me connected with me so much. Like Flea is always one of those names. You know when they'll do like like uh, like Guitar World's top. 500 bases yeah. of all time, right. where it's like, it is terrifying. Like, Flea is always like top four or something. It's For like, sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good slap technique, but you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's just the most memorable. No one's going to disagree. Yeah. He had, a, he had a great turn in Back to the Future 2. Yeah. <laughs> you and, guys remember uh, that? He played Needles. 
oh, that's right. Nobody talks about the Chili Peppers' weird film career. <laughs> where they're, in, they're in Point Break. They're in The Chase with Charlie Sheen and Christy Swanson. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chad Smith starred in Anchorman. <laughs> yeah. that's a, their drummer looks just like Will Ferrell. That joke was about. I don't think I can tell you. I don't think I could identify John Cruciante in a lineup. <laughs> He'd be the one who looks like the girl from The Ring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wait, why is he, he dead? He did that with his hair on purpose, and he was a heroin addict. So I mean, it sort of came together. I'm sorry, is he dead? No, he's still around. He's oh, just okay. not in the band anymore because they were like, they're like, there are too many cool things about this band still. Let's kick out Grush. But no, it's so th- this was, but I still ca- I kind of know what they're talking about when they're like, oh, there's like a return to form because they were like the when I, I was like a 12 year old and Blood Sugar Says Magic came out, they were like balladeers in a kind of way, so they were doing like Breaking the Girl and like Under the Bridge and Soul to Squeeze from mm-hmm. the Cuphead soundtrack. Yes, but like then. <laughs> There was like this weird dip off, and I get like where they were. I don't know what happened, and then I was like, this album came out in like the late nineties. Well, they Frusciante left the band because he was addicted to heroin, and there was that. There was that. Uh, oh. They did that Saturday Night Live performance where they played Under the Bridge, and he was like playing a different song the whole time. You can look it up on YouTube. It's fucking weird. No, wait, now I know what happened. They got into like it's my aeroplane. And yeah. Like that. Well, and then they brought in Dave Navarro to replace John Frusciante for uh, for one hot minute. Right. And okay. uh, no one liked it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> they were like, we're gonna we're gonna try to be a prog rock outfit for a band, yeah. and that didn't really pan out. Has Navarro ever spruced up a band? <laughs> I don't know. Has there has there been another band where they just brought in Navarro? They're like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, what's it's that? like the worst version of like one of those bar rescue shows. Where they're just like, Correct, we got it. We're gonna get rid of those video booker machines. <laughs> the new series on Spike TV. Put some Navarro on it. Yeah. Uh, so Andrew, where did you go to high school? I went to uh, Rich Montgomery High School in Rockville, Maryland. Um, famous alumni include. <laughs> Include Tori Amos, okay, who was in the same class as my dad at the high school. My dad was in high school. He was in the same class as Tori Amos, and they were in the choir together. <laughs> and back then, she was called Ellen. <laughs> what? And I have heard about this every Christmas my entire life when the yearbooks inevitably come out. And they're like, and so until I, when you're a ten-year-old and your parents are trying to explain who Tori Amos is. <laughs> You're like, yeah, okay, great. And then when you're a 24-year-old depressed uh, literature student, you're like, tell me more about Tori <laughs> I picture this getting real creepy. Yeah. <laughs> what did her hair smell like? <laughs> did you have hair sitting in the bathroom? <laughs> um... But so I know, I went there, I graduated class of 2001, and I was 17, graduated when I was 17, and, uh, which puts a weird thing on it, because I, I was young for my class, but... Did you, did you, uh, I mean, everyone can see your glasses, did you skip a year? <laughs> no, I said like an I, August I, birthday. No, I started school in Germany where they start you when you're four. And uh, then when I got to America... Is that for Germany? That's for starting when you're four. Oh, did you start when you're four? Are you allowed to do crowd work at this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to come off in the, in the podcast. But. I'm looking at a woman who I believe could have started at four. So, and they ordered, I don't know. You guys ordered a lot of food over there, too. You think you overdid it? You didn't know how small the tables down here were going to be. All right, let's okay. start this. <laughs> Are we getting right into it? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it 
this is Green Day with One of My Lies. Uh, this is off their 1992 album, Kerplunk. Uh, this album did not chart, but as of 2013, it had sold 4 million copies worldwide, so good for you guys. Uh, this album received four stars from AllMusic.com, who said, Billy Joe Armstrong's puppy dog delivery and eternal switching between snotty humor and sudden sorrow is better than ever. This is their second album, so it, better than it was the first time. This is alright, I like this song. I, I re-listened to it, I remembered it as being the salient song from this album that I was always like coming home listening to it, and uh, their first album, uh, what is it, 10,000 Slap Happy Hours or something like that, yeah. is just kind of like grimy, dumb, dumb teenager fun, but this has like, <laughs> it, it's got this like Bach kind, or not Bach, but like Pasha Bell kind of chord progression, and it's just like ice, and uh, that is such a pretentious way of saying it has three chords. I wouldn't have said it that way when I was... 13 years old, but now I actually know where it's coming from, yeah. but I think they were like a dumb dumb punk band and then they started writing kind of good melodies and uh, it's not the most sophomoric song, I mean it's pretty up there, Yeah. but uh, what, did I write, what I wrote to you when you asked me about it, I was like, this is the anthem of a 13 year old that believes he's already seen too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's alright. He's lit. By the way, Green Day has had the same age of fan their entire career. Yeah. <laughs> How did they manage to do that? I think it's because they still dress the exact same way. They haven't changed any kind of update. Their, you know, the Metallica cut their hair off and they're like, we're not a hair band anymore. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what you are. You're a, <laughs> you're a guitar center, please. But. But no, Green Lars Day's Ulrich has always just looked like an intimidating dad. Like, you know, like, you know, like he's the guy you don't want to take his daughter to the prom. Yeah, like, he'll just stare you down as you're walking her to the car. Uh, yeah, do you know what Green Day loves about their fans? They get older. This is Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. I don't. I don't think it speaks well of my mental state that it took me a second to get that part. No, but that was God, that was the whole thing about this. And this, we were talking about this before the show. But I missed emo. Emo was not around when I was like at, at the prime time age for it. And so Green Day was kind of the closest thing to it, where they just spoke to like. They literally have lyrics that are like, "Mom and Dad will never understand." Yeah. <laughs> But it didn't, it seemed like they kind of meant it. Like, I, it wasn't just trying to port, like portend that they were, uh, I don't know, there's something kind of, well, at least it was, it was new. No one had ever said mom and dad will never understand before. <laughs> to come up, to but... an electric guitar. <laughs> so anyway, but then Emo came out just as I was like kind of like getting into I don't know, real punk is no other way to put it. Yeah. So like, or older, cool punk. And so I was just kind of like, oh, this is like, it. but I know, I know people that just have this like nostalgia for emo, which I just completely missed. Yeah. By, by like two years. Yeah, we were talking about this on the last one with uh, Landon Lenskis, who's in the front row. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, uh, but we were talking about how like, there is a certain age where like you get you, like your your brain shifts and it's like saves the day knows what I'm about and then like <laughs> some people just get like you know like don't make that face it'll stick like that it's like yeah. don't get too into emo music because you might be yeah. 23 and still think <laughs> newfound glory as artistic merit you know uh, yeah. but this is this is fine I mean this is like a perfectly good power pop song. And, uh, like, to Green Day's credit, I will say this, as fucking pretentious as it was when they started weighing in on politics, at least they didn't go the Weezer route, where they're still, like, 45, and they're like, girls don't like me! <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, you're fucking married to a Japanese model, you have yeah. kids. Like, what well, you... oh yeah, the American Idiot, and then it's a Broadway musical. Yeah. Right. Where yeah. it's like, oh, they think they're the who now. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'll let them have it. They're wearing ties. Um, yeah, so 
and BJ. So, oh, but my favorite, the other thing was that I watched, they were my absolute favorite band from the moment I heard them, but then I started getting into their older stuff, which is the, from this, this is their second album, Kerplunk. Obviously, I heard Doogie first, like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But then I watched Woodstock 94 live on pay-per-view. Mm. <laughs> I, I remember my, that shit. I asked my cool aunt, who turned me on to Nine Inch Nails, uh, un unbeknownst to my parents, she was like, all right, I'm gonna play you this song, but you do not repeat these lyrics about f fucking someone like an animal. And then she was like, all right. Your it, parents are like, no, you fuck them like a person. <laughs> like we raised you Show to do. Show some goddamn respect. We did raise animal fuckers. Not in this house. Uh, and then my cool aunt uh, got the Woodstock 94 on pay-per-view and it was a 24-hour feed which included video footage of the raves that happened at night. It was the dopest weekend of probably still in my life. I've been to real raves. I think it was more fun to watch them on TV. Yeah, you can't smell them on TV. <laughs> yeah. It's just sweaty. You don't need to ride home from TV. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that shit. Like, I remember, I mean, I didn't see it when it happened because I was like six, but like, uh, the, like. I that much old. Well, I guess I was 12. Am I six years old? Whatever, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was born in 98. Um, okay. But the. <laughs> don't get weird about it. We are what age we are. And, uh, but I remember specifically, I remember, like, I downloaded. Like uh, in the days of uh, Kazaa, I was like downloading like live videos. You mean the glory days? Yeah, those were the days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just sit, like leaving the computer turned on for like two days to download a three-minute video. <laughs> my fucking 56k modem. Uh, oh, I can't wait till this video. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember specifically like the the Welcome to Paradise performance from that. I Legendary, that the blood fight. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was kind of there was like. Or was that '99? That might have been the ninth. Uh, no, was, the mud fight's '94. Okay. One hundred percent. People are just throwing mud at the band, and it was this amazing fucking thing. The Chili Peppers came out with uh, light bulb helmets for heads. All oh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, all, all kinds of cool stuff happened. Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw more I didn't give them their due. While Anthony Kiedis was writing soulful and thoughtful lyrics, he had a, a sock on his dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they did like the Abbey Road photo with the socks on their dick. I forgot to say, that, that first song, I don't remember whether it was my friend Joe who came up with it or it was my friend Anthony, but we changed the lyrics of that Chili Peppers song, so it was... Wanna 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 oh wanna 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 big old cock <laughs> and uh, the song actually makes the same amount of sense that way. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. Ooh, I, this is fun. I don't quite remember what. Um, match. This band, you can spot this band from the first three seconds of any one of their songs. <laughs> This is the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones with Rascal King. This is off their 1997 album, Let's Face It. This album, or uh, this song peaked at number seven on Billboard Modern Rock Tracks. Apparently this song was about James Michael Curley, the former mayor of Boston. So, that'll be a fun conversation starter for parties. Uh, AllMusic.com gave this four and a half stars, called this album a rousing success. I mean, for me, yeah. <laughs> and if I'm speaking for me, uh, I had met, this is like sophomore, freshman or sophomore year of high school, I met a cool kid over summer who smoked weed and was really into ska. And he would play, he was into like deep ska, like skank and pickled and like all, all these that kind does, of- That sounds made up, but- <laughs> The more so made up a ska band made yeah. sounds like- The better they they're, are. They're probably the better they are. Yeah. But he took me to this festival called Scalloween. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
I wore his costume, and everyone went as unfuckable. <laughs> uh, and then I came back to school and acted like the most fucking like wayward, pretentious person to everyone I knew. And I was like, oh, I guess you guys are still listening to the radio. <laughs> uh, I like ska music, like the Mighty Mighty Boston's. They're certainly not on the radio at number seven of the modern. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, this was like the first ska band I got and into. I, I think the impression that I get was a number one hit. So. I think, oh yeah, yeah, that's just not even like, yeah. So, Which but, is the same song, if you haven't heard it. It's the same song. But there was this weird thing, and I don't know if this is particular to um, Baltimore, but when I was in middle school, there was this thing where you were either a, and this is, and I don't, you're either a yo or a banger, and it probably is exactly what you think it is. Those sound like the same thing. Yeah, every well, every so a, like if you were a banger, you were into like like grunge and alternative rock music, and this is like pushing 1998, so it's almost barely relevant anymore. But every like if you were, and I was a yo, I was really into rap music, and. Anyway, then you don't have any rap on here. Who are your Who are your guys? Oh shit! Well, all the G the G funk era, and uh, God, I like the New York guys too. I was really into Nas and the Lost Boys and uh, ODB. And all you, the all I mean, a lot of the '90s stuff. I was and Bone Thugs was a huge one. Uh huh. Um, yeah, if you were like and a, I, if you I, were a white kid from Rockville and you liked rap music, you liked Bone Thugs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's beyond dispute. Um, I liked a real OG named Coolio, mm-hmm. and uh, no, but it was like this dumb middle school like 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 uh, just like beefy thing where people were like, yeah, well, if you like, I don't, I'm not a banger, so I don't listen to contemporary alternative rock. Um, but anyway, then I was just like like a yo, and I thought it would be completely uncool to listen to uh, like white boy music. But then I heard those mighty mighty Boston's, and uh, arguably heard... the whitest boy music there ever has. Been. I don't think I could have gone farther the other way. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> not in, not in 1997. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was just. But I think I was just like growing out of it. So I was like, I don't give a shit. I can listen to whatever the fuck I want to. I don't care if my friends make fun of me. Kind of thing, and so that—that's why I picked that one because I remember that song specifically. Over the summer, I was like, "Yeah, why well, like ska music now?" And uh, but that's I was also like the first niche like thing where I was—it was like bands that weren't on the radio that I could get into. Yeah, which is gonna be a theme. It was always like some kid I thought was cooler than me telling me about something, and then of like yeah. I, and, yeah, of course. So, no, that's it. Um, I remember that video had some dork dancing in it the entire time. Oh, that's that, he's part of the band. There's like just a fat guy who dances. No, not that guy. The, oh, okay. the video. <laughs> they had another dork dancing. Yeah. So the the video, the video was like some supposed gangster uh, that's like sitting there, and the boss tones come out on the stage, and they're like, "We hear the audition," and uh, he's like, "Huh? What do you call yourselves?" And they're like. Uh, with the mighty mighty boss tones, and then I'm then they play that song, and then the guys are kind of like, hmm, I don't know if I like this or not. The gangster is, and then at the end of it, he ends up standing up and is a classically trained dancer that's sort of doing pirouettes and spin moves all around. So that sounds hilarious. I guess maybe it was the video too that I felt that way. <laughs> I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is what turned me on to the mighty mighty boss. Oh, did they in that too? Yeah. <laughs> Just the concept of Sky in general. Oh, man. All right, well, I'm real fucking excited about this next one. I'm gonna turn this one up. Take your time, let it breathe. Forgot how long the lead-in is here. Oh, I know what it is. What the? It's just—it's <laughs> just vague ambient noise for like the first twenty-five seconds. You can turn this up too. I'll just give it a minute. Yeah. 
Do you remember earlier when I was talking about cool kids telling me what's cool? This is something I told myself, I didn't care. This is Enigma with Return to Innocence. Uh, this is off The Cross of Changes, the German band's 1993 album. Uh, this peaked at number four on the Billboard Hot 100, this song did. Uh, this album received four stars from allmusic.com, who said, uh, the usual era of tasteful, middle-of-the-road spirituality takes precedence. <laughs> this just feels so positive. I'm not even kidding. I can still feel it to this day. I kind of want to just cancel the rest of this show and just play this. Kratu? <laughs> <laughs> he 
He's, he's a Romanian German fella. Uh, I guess that's what you'd call that. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I just like this. It sounds like a Ghostbusters villain. <laughs> there is no Dana, only Kratu. I fucking love it. I listened to this. You sent me this playlist. I listened to this song so many times, and it made me laugh every single time. It's also in the sound. It was also the main Conehead soundtrack. No, it was the main score of Man of the House, starring Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. What? Which is one what of, a weird fever dream the 90s were. Well, this was one of these type of movies that came out in the mid 90s, where a single mother and kid dealing with having a single, it was always this like deadbeat dad situation, Mighty Ducks, Little Big League, Rookie of the Year, sure. all single moms with a kid who finds himself in a, out of, out of his death. Yeah, first kid. First fucking kid. Yeah. This one though, Man of the House, is single mom, new stepdad, Chevy Chase. Uh-huh. Chevy Chase has to be the stepdad, and the kid is trying to sabotage him to make him look bad to the mom. This sounds really familiar. But it but all I'm keeps making, coming back to, what are some of the stunts that the, the kid pulls on him? All types of camping slapstick where, oh, I'll put a live raccoon in new stepdad's tent. Like, Gets him every time. Yeah. That'll make him look like a fool so my mother won't marry him. <laughs> How do you get, here's my question, where'd you get the raccoon? Yeah, right. Voice yeah. of young symbol, where'd you get the fucking raccoon? I wonder what Jonathan Taylor Thomas is up to right now. You think he does podcasts? <laughs> he's gonna do the booking portion right now. He tweets at me and he's like, actually, if you watch the movie, I got the raccoon from my own. If you bothered to watch my film, Man of the House, you would know. He should do just a run through of all of his movies, like Shia LaBeouf did. <laughs> just, yeah, address potholes. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to the next one. This one's unimpeachable. Oh, okay. Does anybody know it yet? This is Outcast with a Quemini. This is the title track off their 1998 album of the same name. Uh, this album peaked at number two on the Billboard 200. Uh, AllMusic.com called it five star, gave it five stars, and called it a stroke of brilliance. Fucking right, this is great. Um, there's nothing funny about this. It's one of the single greatest albums of all time. And I saw there was this uh, music festival in Baltimore called Quadmania. Uh, if every year they would have a big headliner. It would be all local bands, and then they would have a headliner, and it was on the Community College Quad in Baltimore County. And the year that we went, we, I was 13 years old, I think, and Rakim was supposed to headline. We wait all day to watch Rakim, and then they make an announcement. They're like, sorry, Rakim can't come, but we've got a really great uh, substitute band. What? And they're like, everybody put your hands together for Outcast. You lost a five and found a 20. You would, but at the time, they only had one song, which was Elevator, well, two, Players Ball and Elevator. So nobody really knew about Outcast unless you had really listened to AT Aliens. So we had, though, and so we were just like, what? And Equipment and I had just come out. They performed the whole album and no one gave a shit. Everyone was standing around oh like, everyone was standing around like, what the fuck is this? And, cause they were ready to see Rakim, I mean, one of the fucking legends of all time. Yeah. But so we're standing around, we heard this entire album and we were just like, oh! and uh, so stoked. This is like when I started smoking weed uh, and this album was our weed album, I think until Stankonia came out and then that was the new one. But and it's been like that until Idlewild. So yeah, they, I mean, 
the, like they were on such a fucking run and like and I circled back to this later because like I just knew like hey yeah when I was like a senior in, in high school uh, and then it wasn't until like literally the past couple of years that I started to go back and listen to the other stuff and fuck like I forget what the name of it is the opening track on this album he rhymes, fucking Andre rhymes time traveling with rhyme javelin. Rhyme javelin. Which is like. Something mind unraveling. Instant Nobel Prize, right yeah. there. Like, what? That, how the fuck? Ugh. No, the one of the sickest lines ever is in this song, which is alien, it can blend right on in, which you can look again, because I swear I spot one every now and then. And like, it was all that fast rapping that I liked about Bone Thugs and Twista and that kind of shit, but this was like. A lot of those guys, it was so skillful, but they wouldn't have like the layering that Andre had, and that was fucking when you're stoned, man. And we used to have a uh, blacklight situation, obviously, and then we had a uh, we had a. I don't even know why I felt the need to say. That. In our weed smoking den, we had a uh, this scrolling sign that you would see in a Seven Eleven that's telling you the sales. Or do you know what I mean? Or at the DMV that's making the announcement? Like the LED? Yeah, the LED, but it's like a scrolling message. And we would just type in insane. We would get high and just program it with insane shit so that any time you look at it, it's just like, why? We were, I mean, one of our kids had pretty deadbeat parents, and so we could just kind of hang out in this basement. And we did. One of our kids had three deadbeat parents? One of our friends had Uh, three deadbeat parents. One of our friends had three deadbeat parents. <laughs> you, and, you and Cynthia had a kid who had three separate parents. Oh, you know about my wife, Barb? <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I forget. <laughs> Her name changes a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, this is, that was the, but that's my favorite song from the album. Yeah, man, I like that. Like, that's my getting shit done music. That album just makes me feel smart when I listen to it. Yeah. I think, and that that kind of sparked a, an interest in me listening to something intellectual. I, I think before it was like I listened to stuff that affected me on a gut level or something, or just like I didn't think that much. But then I started listening, to, and that like turned into Leonard Cohen, or that turned into like whatever. Like yeah, I don't know. That was like kind of the beginning of that. Yeah, it works on every level though, because they got like in that in that song. There's a part like halfway through where the beat drops out completely, and then they like it's like three seconds, and you're like, oh, it's over. And it's like, and then, no, no, we're still back. We yeah. got more fucking. Uh, and then the beat really drops, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. More like four syllable rhymes they both for get you. Suck sick verse. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, like it's, not, yeah, it's a it's a I, weird this is a weird thing that happens on this podcast. This is happening where, I'm like, where gets, I'm like, this isn't funny, but I'm really excited about this. I song. get so excited. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, it can get serious. It's fun. Serial? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is important. Let's let it ride. This is Moby with Porcelain. This is off his 2000 album, Play. Uh, This song was a number two hit in Belgium. Uh, This album received four and a half stars from allmusic.com, who said, this version of blues meets electronica is undoubtedly intriguing to the all-important NPR crowd, but more than a bit gimmicky to any techno fans who know their Carl Craig from Carl Cox. I don't know what that means. <laughs> that sentence had a lot of words in it. Um, I heard this. There was a on WHFS, which became El Sol, um, in the late '90s. But it was basically the last freeform alternative rock station in the region like uh and so they had a cool show that would come on at midnight called transmissions and this is in the like mid to the mid to late 90s when they did when electronic music what raves or whatever it was called 
what you want to call it, was sort of on its way out because of the Rave Act and all this stuff. But I Wait, was, there was a Rave Act? Yeah, so in the late 90s, they passed this thing called the Rave Act, which allowed them to send federal agents into anything that they could deem a rave. Fucking Clintons. And so that's... Feel the burn! <laughs> there was a club in D.C. called Buzz, and it was me and my friends. We were all 16, 17, 18 years old, all attempting to track down fake IDs that at least said we were 18 so that we could go to Buzz to see, to go to a rave, you know? <laughs> but uh, I heard this, and Transmissions, it was hosted by Gina Crash. She's still around, she's still on the radio, I think, in California. Gina Crash? Mm -hmm. And she was it Sounds like a character from the 1995 film, Hackers. Yeah, or Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> what was her name? Gina Crash. Gina Crash Bandicoot. Anyway, I heard this song. It was also in the movie The Beach. And, um, oh, shit, it was! I got obsessed with this guy, Moby. And uh, I don't know, this is something that was like, chill out. I, I thought this is what a rave would sound like when I went there. It turns out this is what it sounds like. This is what a rave sounds like when you're leaving a rave in somebody's car. Yeah. Everything I thought about raves turned out to be completely wrong once I eventually went to them. Yeah, this is the song that you put on when like the drugs aren't doing what they're supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you take a weird left turn in there somewhere. You can officially well, call Chill out, yeah. we'll put on this, uh, this song that will be intriguing to the all-important NPR crowd. What? By the way, that review is real scathing, because what they say is, what did they say? It's four and a half stars! Doesn't know his Carl, something from his Carl yeah, Cox. Yeah, uh, Carl Cox is like one of the most respected DJs ever. And like, so is Carl Craig, apparently. Doesn't know his Carl Craig. I looked them Carl up. Cox. I looked both of them up. Um, but anyway. I'm not asking for a But now person. I've come, because then, but then once I got like, hip to what was actually cool, like cool, then I was like, yeah, fuck Moby, that's like just some poser, like, blah, blah. But now I like it again. Did, did that take with you? Did you have like a sustained electronica phase? Yeah, I, we, when I graduated, right when I graduated high school, we were going to a lot of parties like that, and I was really into drum and bass, and I was really into Raga Jungle, and uh, what was that last one? Raga Jungle was a... Raga Jungle? Yeah, it's a subgenre of drum and bass where there is really heavy drum and bass, but also um, reggae MC spitting really fast over it. So it's like... <laughs> it's really heavy, and it's all... It's, I don't know, man. It, I, could, I don't know if I could ever listen to it. I don't have to look at it. How do you spell that? R-A-G-G-A. -G -G -A. Look up DJ Mullet Cut. Okay. He's <laughs> a Raga Jungle, Cut? Raga Jungle DJ. Um, and I was into like Bad Boy Bill and Diesel Boy and uh, that heavy shit. I liked anything that was like where Say the heavy... Say those last two names again. Bad Boy Bill and Diesel Boy. <laughs> bad Boy Bill. Drum and I bass. I feel like Bill is the least bad boy name ever. Yeah. Back Bill's then. an accountant. He's yeah. from Dubuque. Like he's bad Boy Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, but back then. It's criminally insane Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Criminally. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds divorced and in his 50s. Uh, <laughs> Oh, um, that got weird. That was a weird reaction to that last. No, part. I wanted to riff on the name Bailey, but I couldn't think of a crime. <laughs> no, but that was that was the thing. Uh, but drum and bass was like where the heavy heavy drug kids were, and everybody made fun of trance music, and it was like oh, like trance was for like uh, like bottle service clubs, and if you like drum and bass or rock and jungle or heavy heavy beats, then you were into drugs and you were cool. And that was like the whole point. But because of the Rave Act, and this is this is the funniest thing, because of the Rave Act, all the raves got shut down and even the underground parties were getting shut down. So all of the heavy drug heads from the rave scene went to the jam band scene. 
I'm not even kidding. Are you serious? No, I'm not kidding. And they all went to the jam band scene and got into these bands, which is why you had this huge wave of techno-influenced jam bands like the Disco Biscuits and stuff. Uh-huh. And Sound Tribe Sector 9, because that was the whole fucking thing, because all the drugs went through the hippie thing. And so, like, that's where we went to. <laughs> and so I had a whole... It's not included in the playlist, because I'm not going to waste anybody's time with that music, because it's absolute garbage. There's nothing, nothing defensible about it. But... No, that's the whole thing that happened. And like, I went to the first Bonnaroo. I went to the first three. I, I was just gonna say, I went both to the first. Those bands that you mentioned, uh, Disco Biscuits and Soundtrap, I saw both of those at Bonnaroo. Like, I went to the first three Bonnaroo, and. All right, <laughs> <laughs> take a bow for that Thank one. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, but like half of the half of the first couple of Bonnaroos were all of that like residual rave kid thing and uh and then they started doing djs and then they just acknowledged it and they were like yeah we get it it's like a whole drug thing and now they've even cracked down on that so i don't even know where the drugs are now i don't need to know because i'm 32 years I old i can hook you up with a guy yeah. oh is he okay yeah all right let's do this next one we've just got a couple left here oh okay Sort of a left turn from the last one. This sounds like everything. This sounds like everything else. This is Stroke Nine with Little Black Backpack. Uh, this is off their 1999 album, Nasty Little Thoughts. Um, this album received four, uh, three stars from AllMusic.com, who called it snappy and hook-laden. This song is such a strange anomaly to me. How can there be such an awful, detestable verse and such an absolutely brilliant chorus? I don't... They seem to bear no relation to each other. It's back to this dirty garbage. What... What is this part? This is a complete lack of trying. They wrote... They're like, I don't know, dude. Like, we don't have to do anything we want. We could fart for 20 seconds. We have this part. With the little, with the, say why not. I was in at say why not. They stop the song. By the way, this. Say why not. Everyone's in now, right? Like, say there's God. What, and it gets better? Oh, it literally gets better. I don't know. I refuse to re- to forgive the lyric of smack, turn around, he's on his back. Your bloody back, back, back. It's, they've taken alliteration and manipulated all of us with some really good sounds of words. <laughs> I don't know, man. It came out when I was in high school. I bought the album. Yeah, first mistake not even right the, there. Not even the kiss single. Yeah. I bought the album. They didn't even write a whole good single. No, and I was wondering if maybe there were some other parts like, I say why not, on the album. <laughs> yeah. That were buried in the deep cuts. Yeah, and the problem is you have to listen to, like, every shitty song. Yeah. I'm like, well, this is garbage so far, but maybe they're going to do this again. <laughs> maybe this. Maybe there's a reprise version on the record. It's really fun. Like, the, the 90s one-hit wonders, like, you didn't even need a whole song. You could just get a hook in there. Oh, and my God. Were like, well, and I picked this one because it's one of the best examples of that. Just, like, one-hit wonder, you'll never see them again ever. But I mean, there were so many of them when I was in high school. Like, the Yeah, fly- you don't even want to know what happened to strokes one through eight. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but there was, like, the flies got you where I want you. Or, like, um, the Marvelous Three, Freak of the Week. There was, like, all these weird, like, one-hit... Uh, I didn't... <laughs> I'm just impressed that you know the names of the bands, because I know both of those songs, but I could not, like... If you have, like, gun to my head, like, <laughs> well, who no, wrote Freak of the Week? I don't know. That would be the Marvelous Three. Duh. <laughs> um, the Marvelous 
purple is three. <laughs> and that guy, but that guy, and it, and it truly was like, like the one hit wonder era of the original, like in the 50s, it was all these like songwritery guys that were getting just kind of, they would write songs and then somebody else would sing it. And that guy from Marvelous Three, I think he wrote five or six hit songs but they were sung by other people. He was like a producer writer yeah. guy. His name's Butch Walker, I think. And, and then that he, sounds like one of the marvelous three. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Butch Walker. These are my two <laughs> friends. We're the marvelous three. We're here to clean up this town. And it's so, but it's so dumb. But it has a, it's got a catchy part. And then there's like the dumb lyric. I think a lyric of Freak of the Week is. I've got a shrink, I swear he's Elvis, I think. He wears the coolest suede shoes when I come in with the blues. That's his lyric. To which is fair, a lie. That does no, all right. No, he stole doesn't. one of those rhymes from Elvis. Yeah, right. So I'll just take an Elvis lyric, mix around the rhymey parts, and then, because I'm the freak of the week, and the, or SR71, what was their song? Oh, oh, what was it? Uh, Oh, why, why'd you always kick me we when I'm high? Talk me down to we see yeah. to... <sighs> Right? Yeah, this is, this is again some Tony Hawk's pro skater shit right Tony here. Tony Hawk's pro skater, completely fabricated music, but it was a hit and it stuck in my brain forever. Just like, yeah. yeah, luckily Napster had arrived by the time that I became aware of all this stuff, so I didn't make the mistake of buying any of the albums, but like, it's still, like, a lot of this still took hold. I still made playlists with each of these individuals. Like, funny. if you combine, like, 19 of these bands, you get one okay band. <laughs> all right, we just got one left. Let's do it. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. This is Sublime with 40 Ounces to Freedom. This is the title track off their 1992 album of the same name. Uh, this uh, track reached number 15 on the Billboard Heat Seekers, which is like, it tracks the up and coming songs, but it hit that in 1995, three years after the album came out. So I don't know what you do with that. This album received three stars from allmusic.com, who said, no matter how you look at it, Date rape isn't a bold, ironic satire on Macho Mores. <laughs> forgot about that song. I forgot what an odious fucking song that was. It's really... If it wasn't for date rape, I'd never get laid. That was a lyric of that song. <laughs> there would be so many fucking Jezebel articles if that album came out today. I'm, Sublime is not important to enough people for it to even be revisited. Like, why is anyone? He, I think. I think surprised. at the end of the song, he goes, "Now it gets butt raped every day." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that. Like he takes it in the rear. So there's like some justice or something. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, listen, kids. Because rape is justice that's for their, rape. Yeah, that's right, their yeah, after-school okay. special song. Right. Um, this band is one of the most, probably the most important band of me in high school. Really? I think so. I think that's probably true of a lot of people. It's who weird. Like smoked weed in high school. Smoked weed, but it also had this, it was this collaborative, multi, like they drew from so many things that I was into at the same time. So it was like this perfect melange of genre for me because they were really good at all of them. They weren't posers at any of it. I don't, not, really not. like. So like they were sampling the coolest reggae that I knew about at the time, and then like the hip hop samples. I mean, you can really dig into those, and uh, if you listen to it, you'll be shocked as to how many little melodic parts to these things, or how many lyrics are rap like pulled, straight up pulled out of rap songs that are like dropped. It, it really is the first copy and paste band ever. Like it's. It's girl talk. Are you giving them credit for plagiarism? Is that what? No, well, it's done, but I will still defend it. It's like girl talk, right. but done analog. And um, I don't know, but I was obsessed, man. It was that perfect, like, druggy, sort of like, he was already dead, so it was like this, had this, like, martyr, like, 
It was like I can never see them, so it exists in another, like an ageless time. I can never get lame. Oh, dude, but they that, did though. But that one, so you know, you remember that one Sublime poster that's like Bradley Noel with like his, his back shirt, his, his shirt's off. He looks all fucked up. He's got the bad, like the tattoos and stuff. Yeah. That was that was like in the rack at every fucking uh, hot topic and zoomies. No, I know now. <laughs> I know now, but at the time in high school, they had they were like had the what what I got was on the radio. Yeah. But everyone I knew about their three albums before that. I and first so, heard that song from Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX. Oh, I played a lot of no. extreme sports video games. R.I.P. Matt Hoffman. Oh, is he dead? Killed himself. Okay. Wow. Yep. Here's to you, Matt Hoffman. He jumped his bike off the gorge. Are you serious? No, he shot himself. Oh, man! <laughs> Fuck! I thought you were giving me a silver lining on this. If he did a Thelma and Louise on his BMX bike, like, that would be amazing. That's, like, that's triumphant. <laughs> Which part? <laughs> wow, so a lot of death. A lot of death in this last song. He was already dead, and then I, I dug into the old albums, and he did that duet with Gwen Stefani before either of them were famous. There's a lot of cool stuff, and there was so much to dig into that I, it gave me this, like, I imagine this is the way people get into Rush or something when you're in high school, where it's just something private for you. And... <laughs> And there's so much to dig into that you can like nerd out on it and then you meet somebody else that knows about it. Which in my case, it wasn't like dorks like jerking off with each other in a, like, in a rumpus room or something. We were smoking weed behind the school and talking you about- You know, the typical sublime fans. Well, no, no, Dorks no. jerking off with each other in a rumpus room. No, I was more talking about like, like, like whatever and nothing against it, but like, uh... <laughs> No, you know, Listen, jerk off with your dork friends in whatever room you want to. Literally, yeah, rumpus room, nursery, with no babies in it. Make a, sure a baby it's on the way for a baby on the way. Yeah, they haven't painted it yet. They don't know whether it's blue or pink yet. Yeah, genderless. Just white walls. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you guys are disgusting. No, but I, I, I kind of identify now when I see like freaks and geeks or something, and it's like, oh, they have like their D and D thing. That was like me and my sublime friends. Except we were like taking drugs and hanging out by a creek and fucking talking about Bradley Noel like he was like a myth, you know. Um, and it was like it was like it spoke to all my rap, like the rap music that I liked. But it was like I don't know. Um, he was like this funky white boy that I thought was like really cool. And oh, and and uh, and that, but that because oh, the, their middle album is Robin the Hood, and that's the one that nobody knows about. But it's all his like heroin tapes. Okay. So it's like literally his bedroom heroin tapes where it sounds like dog shit, but it's but you get it most into that. And so like um, there's one called Pool Shark, which is him literally talking about shooting heroin and he's gonna die from it. So like pretty cool, you know. Pretty <laughs> very very prescient. And it's fun, it's prescient. I would definitely say that it's prescient. Okay. <laughs> and um, I appreciated it a lot, you know. As <laughs> you get in one more. Give it up for Andrew Bucket, everybody. Thank you. Uh, so, Andrew, you got anything uh, coming up that you would like to plug? Sure. Um, I do a show. Here, sorry, I do a show here every second, uh, second and fourth Tuesdays in this very room. This is a songbird music that I host with Brittany Carney, and uh, I'll be on the 202 Comedy Festival coming up. Yeah, Um, April 13th through 16th. I will be doing a couple of house shows, which I'll promote on my Instagram if you follow me at Andrew Bucket. Um, There's usually lots of booze and cool shit to do at those, and. Uh, that's it. I don't know. I think that's it. Great. Thanks uh, for doing it, buddy. Thank you, David. This was very fun.
Uh, as always, if you'd like to email the show, you can do that at davidsadnesstown at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at twitprivilege or on Instagram at killtwitey. Uh, and uh, just one more time, 202 Comedy Festival, if you're in the D.C. area and you're listening to this, or you're just here right now, uh, you should fucking come to that. It's uh, 202comedyfestival.com. Uh, I'm going to be doing a stand-up show on April 14th, I think. And then I'm going to be doing a live podcast at Eastern Confederate in Mount Pleasant with Lafayette Wright, who's a really funny local comic. Uh, yeah, give it up one more time for Andrew Bucket. Uh, my name's David Twighty, and as always, nothing is going to be okay. Scatman's world.